You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Metamorphosis. My name is Faye. And my name is Donovan. Here on the Metamorphosis podcast, we are interviewing various physicians across BC with the aim of learning more about their specialties and helping medical students navigate their medical careers. Our guest today is Dr. Winwood. Dr. Winwood, thank you for joining us. And thank you, Faye and Donovan. It's a, it's a great privilege to be able to join you in this podcast. Thank you very much. So Dr. Winwood is the Regional Associate Dean of the Northern Medical Program and also an internist and gastroenterologist here in Prince George. So Dr. Winwood, could you tell us a little bit about first your background and why you chose medicine and what your journey was like? Oh, okay. That takes me a long way back. So, <laughs> um, gosh. Um, so as, as, as you can tell from my accent, if no one else knows, I uh, came from the UK and I trained there. Um, I, uh, I was uh, the son of a cardiologist working in a London teaching hospital. So uh, I was brought up very much in, a, in, a, in an urban metropolitan and academic environment. So um, I, I did have that background. I absolutely thought I had no chance of getting into medical school. And I just applied kind of thinking, well, I might as well do because there was, I wasn't sure what else I wanted to do. And somehow I got into medical school. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that's, that's how I ended up in medical school. And um, I, tra- I trained at the London Hospital in East London, uh, which is traditionally one of the poorer areas of London and has a large immigrant population. Historically, it's had waves of, of immigrants as they come through London. Um, and, um, and it was a fascinating place to be. It saw a very diverse range of, of disease and social um, and socioeconomic problems. And I think from a fairly early stage, I was marked out to be an internist. I actually remember in a small, uh, in a small group learning session, my tutor looking at me and saying, he's going to be an internist. And, <laughs> and I, uh, I had no idea why he was saying that. Um, I think I have, I think I have some ideas now, but, uh, anyway, so, so, um, and I think it's because I enjoy the intellectual challenge and I enjoy the, what I always call the diagnostic chase. I enjoy the kind of detective piece around trying to work out what's wrong with someone who's got um, an odd presentation. So um, would you like to carry on into my career? Yeah, so so I graduated from the London Hospital in 1985. And um, um, and this takes me right back to why I'm here now in Prince George. I, I always enjoyed outdoor activities. And at every at every opportunity during my uh, medical school year and years and then a year of an intern which I did which I did in London I was always trying to get out at weekends and trying to get to the country and go camping and hiking and stuff um, anyway when I finished my intern year I uh, I applied for um, um, residency rotations in internal medicine uh, on the south coast in a regional hospital and um, I think that's where that was really where my career goals got got solidified. So I did, I did a, uh, an internal medicine rotation in the regional center. Um, and with a larger population than we serve from Prince George, um, but uh, probably about twice the size of the population, mm-hmm. but we were seeing everything. And it was a smaller hospital with a much more friendly uh, culture and working environment than I'd experienced in London teaching hospitals. And um, I really enjoyed at that time the 
um, acute medicine. I enjoyed the diagnostic challenge. I enjoyed seeing how people progressed as we treated them and following them through. And um, one of my attendings in those days was a gastroenterologist. And um, he, was, uh, he was really, really widely respected across, across the region. And even in the local teaching centre, people really revered him as, as being the person you send patients to when you had no idea what was going on. And um, I, I do think that role modelling plays a part in our career choices. Uh, he was a fantastic internist and a fantastic gastroenterologist. And I think he, I think he really sowed the seeds. So from, from there, I applied um, for a fellowship program, which had continuing internal medicine, but gastroenterology and moved to uh, Southampton, where there's a teaching hospital and medical school. And I did my, um, effectively did my fellowship there. Uh, and it's a different structure to here, but because, and, 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 and along the way, I got my Royal College exams. I worked with um, a famous, gastroenterologist who uh, had actually been involved in the discovery of hepatitis B. Within, within his group, there was, there was another um, more se- there was a senior fellow called uh, Michael Arthur, who uh, was just, he was an academic gastroenterologist. He was just coming back from San Francisco and building his uh, academic um, department. And he invited me to uh, do research with him. And I spent uh, four and a half years doing uh, research and working as a lecturer and a research fellow studying liver fibrosis and cirrhosis. Uh, and as part of that, I got to spend 18 months in San Francisco on a, on a traveling fellowship. And I had, a, I had a fantastic time. And then I got to the end of that and actually decided that I didn't really want to be in a large teaching hospital after all, maybe, but I still wanted to be in an academic environment. And luckily, or maybe not luckily, I don't know, but as it turned out, uh, th- there was a position that came up in the regional hospital where I'd done all my residency training as a gastroenterologist and internist, and I applied and got that position. And I was able to maintain my links with Southampton for the whole time I was there, and I was there for 12 years. Um, and then from there, I came to Prince George. So you mentioned earlier that you kind of got pegged as someone who should pursue internal early on. Can you kind of explain why you think that is? Yes, as I said at the time, I didn't understand why my researcher had said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, um, curiosity is a big thing. And it, 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 intellectual curiosity, and that speaks to, as I call the diagnostic chase, the diagnostic challenge of dealing with an undifferentiated patient, trying to work out what's wrong with them. Uh, and that's a, that's a big part of being an internist. You, you know, you need to be detail-oriented, which I'm afraid I am, and that's sometimes a bad thing in, in life. But in, <laughs> as an internist, that's a good thing because it means that, you know, you consider all the possibilities. Um, at the same time, you need to remain grounded in common sense and recognise that common things are common and not try and diagnose the latest disorder in every patient you see. Uh, but you need to consider it. So um, it's that. And then the other thing I really enjoy is the relationship uh, that I develop with patients. And there is a significant continuity of care and uh, in, in, you know, in internal medicine, uh, you usually follow patients through to diagnosis and initiate their management. Um, and then it depends on, on what's on the list whether they might then go to a subspecialist or not. How would you say internal compares 
to something like family, where you are seeing, you're seeing a really broad spectrum of patients in internal, you see a really broad spectrum of patients in family, but is it that you get to follow them further in internal or what would you say the difference is? <laughs> I sometimes think the family doctors are the real clever doctors because they have to deal with absolutely everything. Whereas at least in internal medicine, um, we are um, limited to a, a spectrum of disorders that fall under internal medicine. Uh, in adults, so we're not dealing with peds, we're not dealing with OBGYN, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I guess the differences are that we get into the detail more. A family physician um, has to really has to maintain that kind of grounding of common sense and um, and pragmatic management of patients, whereas internists uh, really get into the detail and get into the diagnostic workup in a detailed way. Um, and I think. Um, so, and yeah, I mean, they, they tend to deal with specialized disease. They tend to deal with patients with uh, multiple, multiple pathologies, uh, with complex presentations, uh, sometimes with one pathology with, with multiple, you know, that affect multiple systems. Um, so I think it's more about the detail um, and the specific management of complex patients. Yeah. Do you think there's anything that would make someone not suited to a career in internal medicine? I think if you don't like detail, uh, then you're not suited to this, this, this career. For many people, and it doesn't affect all specialties actually, and we'll probably come on to that, but many internal medicine specialties don't have a huge practical component. So if you like, if you like doing things with your hands, obviously you might think about being a surgeon. Mm -hmm. How about gastroenterology itself? What made you want to, you know, internal is a specialty by itself, and then you subspecialized even further? Yeah. So I talked earlier about the role model, and I do believe that having um, a role model was a big part of my decision making. But having said that, um, I also liked the combination of what I've already referred to as the diagnostic chase, because GI diseases can present in almost any system. Um, and almost uh, diseases in almost any system can present as GI symptoms. So it's a, it still maintains a very broad base of disease types that you see as a gastroenterologist. Um, in particular, I was interested in liver disease in my earlier days, and uh, I've always found the metabolic black box that is our liver fascinating. And, um, and I've always found uh, a, an intellectual challenge in in following patients who develop liver disease and liver failure. So I really enjoy that intellectual challenge. On the other hand, it also comes with a significant practical component, and that's endoscopy. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I enjoy the combination of doing a job where my intellect is challenged. At the same time, I can do practical procedures. And most gastroenterologists will spend uh, two or three half days a week in endoscopy. and um, uh, you know, ha having said I enjoy the breadth of intellectual challenge, sometimes it's nice just to focus on doing one thing for half a day. And I really enjoy uh, being in endoscopy, doing one thing, working with a team in the endoscopy room, mostly a team of nurses. Uh, and again, it's the, di it's, the, it's the skill of the procedure, it's the diagnostic challenge. And then there's a huge amount of therapeutic endoscopy these days that is also really enjoyable. On that note as well, what, what would you say you spend most of your time doing as a gastroenterologist or an internist or vice versa, right? So obviously you're doing a lot of endoscopy. Is there anything else you spend kind of, you would say the majority of your time doing? 
I still think I spend the majority of my time face-to-face -face with patients. And uh, I do think that's important. Although, although I really enjoy the practical skills, gastroenterology is not about endoscopy. That's just a diagnostic and therapeutic tool that we use. So most of my time is spent with patients. In my gastroenterology practice, I would say uh, around half the time is spent in the initial diagnosis of patients and half in chronic disease management follow-up. And I really enjoy I really enjoy that side of the job as well. So in, my practice here is very rich in patients with inflammatory bowel disease and chronic liver disease. And uh, those patients really need lifelong follow-up with a specialist. And um, there is still a huge art in the practice of medicine with those patients. Uh, there's no, sim I mean, there obviously there are algorithms, but there's no simple algorithm. Every patient is different. And, uh, and I, I really enjoy that challenge. Could you describe to us what a typical week looks like? For example, we know that you're the regional associate dean here, so you have a large role to play. And then also with your practice, like how does a week look like for you? <laughs> so, so for my week, and, mm -hmm. and my week is not typical of, uh, of an internist and gastroenterologist. So um, I spend four days out of five uh, working for the medical school. Mm -hmm. And um, those, that's not necessarily the same four days. And mm -hmm. um, if I'm if I'm absolutely honest with you, I spend a lot of time in meetings, uh, be they one-on-one -on -one meetings and very often large committee meetings, very often video conference meetings across the province. And uh, I spend a lot of time responding to emails and sending letters. Um, and um, you know, I'm involved um, in my regional associate dean role in everything from community engagement around trying to. Uh, encourage communities to get their students to consider health professions programs and particularly medicine uh, for their career, uh, as well as encouraging those communities to welcome students and physicians uh, later on, um, right through to curriculum development and oversight and faculty engagement, making sure that we've got adequate numbers of faculty and that they are happy with what they're doing and we're supporting them adequately, supporting students, supporting residents. Um, so I spend four days of my week doing that. And sometimes I wonder how on earth that's possible, but actually I could spend probably 10 days a week doing that. And then I have a day a week approximately of clinical. And um, uh, that varies. I do a half a day of endoscopy every other week. Uh, and uh, that's usually a very busy list with um, uh, usually nine, nine patients I'm scoping with different types of procedure. Um, and then I'll spend a day and a half a week on average uh, in my office clinic seeing patients. Um, and then on top of that, I do uh, some internal medicine on call. And um, typically I do two nights or two weekend days a month of on call. Mm. Uh, and then I'll spend uh, typically two to four weeks as the attending for internal medicine on the clinical teaching unit, uh, which I also really enjoy because I do enjoy teaching. And fundamentally, that's how I got into being the regional associate dean. Mm. And I still enjoy being on the floor teaching students and residents at the same time as practicing clinical medicine and hopefully imparting a little of uh, what wisdom I have to them. What would you say are some challenges associated with your specialty in particular? That's a, that's a good question. Um, so every specialty has its challenging patients and challenging types of patients. 
And um, uh, in gastroenterology, it's what I would call functional gastrointestinal disorders. And um, the one that everyone will think of when we say that is irritable bowel syndrome. And probably in a, in a certainly in an urban gastroenterology practice, 40% of your workload will be seeing patients with functional GI disorders and effectively diagnosing them and providing management advice. And they can be very difficult because people are anxious. They often have quite severe pain and they sometimes find it hard to accept that there isn't something seriously wrong with them. So they can be difficult, but also very interesting. And intellectually, functional GI disorders are fascinating. So from a kind of research and pathophysiological point of view, it's fascinating, but they can be challenging patients to deal with. Um, and then I guess the other thing that can be challenging is uh, endoscopy does need the resources. And so you do need to work in a center where there are uh, adequate facilities and resources for endoscopy. Uh, and that, of course, if you want to get into specialist endoscopy, then you need to have a sufficient patient base uh, in order to keep up enough uh, work that you maintain your skills. So I know that you mentioned that you had a really good mentor that kind of helped you shape your journey. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice for students that maybe don't know where to look for that kind of mentorship? Yeah, and you know, it was it was serendipitous. It's just, I came across these people when I was training. Mm -hmm. um, students are always very keen to um, do shadowing and I, I do think that's a good idea. Um, on the other hand, you will encounter uh, at least every broad specialty as you go through your your four years uh, training, um, and you will uh, encounter people who may become role models for you. Um, I think, and I think it's really tough for uh, medical students in Canada that you have to make your career decision effectively as you come to the end of third year. And I know that students are, um, are very concerned, often from the get-go, about whether they're going to match to the calm specialty that they might want. Um, and, you know, I would, I would have to say that you do need to make sure that you do electives and things that you think you might want to do, and then you might learn that you don't want to do them. Um, um, I mean, I would say that I do believe there's a number of careers I could have had in medicine and really enjoyed them as much as I have in gastroenterology. And I really believe that I could have done any of the internal medicine specialties, subspecialties, and enjoyed enjoyed them. I, I really could. Um, um, I might even have enjoyed surgery, but I don't think I'm smart. I'm, I'm clever enough with my hands to do that. Um, but, um, you know, I think I, could, I think I could have enjoyed pathology. I definitely could have enjoyed rural family practice. I would have had to have done rural family practice because I like big scope of practice and I would like I like to follow my patients through um, but no I think you need to make sure that if you're if you are interested in a career any particular career that you get exposure to it and uh, at the very least you must do that in your lectures if you can get exposure for some shadowing that's a good idea how did you rule out those specialties or was it serendipity like you said <laughs> you know I think it was largely serendipity um, <laughs> You know, when I when I finished effectively my internal medicine residency, I applied for a GI fellowship and I, I got in. 
if I hadn't got in, maybe I would have applied for a different type of fellowship. Um, and I, I, I was thinking quite seriously about doing cardiology at the time. And um, the main reason I didn't was I kind of felt that I shouldn't be following in my father's footsteps. I wanted to do something different. <laughs> that didn't feel quite right to me, although I think I would have loved cardiology. And um, that, of course, has a, you know, a similar um, skill set, is, is, if you like, is that there is, there is the clinical side and there can be some very difficult diagnostic challenges. And yet there's a big practical side. Most cardiologists now spend a lot of time doing uh, cardiac catheters and PCI. And, um, and then there's echoes and stress tests and all sorts of other things that you can be doing. So, um, I, th I, you know, I, I, I do think I could have done certainly any of the internal medicine specialties. And it was just role models and that combination of intellectual curiosity and practical skills that attracted me. You mentioned a couple different specialties that you could have done and been happy in. Do you think there's any that you absolutely couldn't have done or would regret doing now that you know a little bit I more? I honestly don't think I could have been a radiologist. I honestly don't think I could have done that. I really like people and patients. Um, and um, uh, and I, I just don't think my brain is wired to be a radiologist. So I'm very much um, focused on the clinical presentation when I see a patient. And I go and look at an X-ray knowing the, the history and the physical exam findings. And I know I'm kind of looking for certain things and ruling out other things on the X-ray. I'm not very good at being shown a blind, an X-ray and just ask what's wrong with that X-ray. <laughs> it's just not the way my brain works. Um, so I don't think I'd have been very good at that. Um, I, and I probably wouldn't have liked anesthesiology for many of the same reasons, but I enjoy the patient contact. I enjoy diagnosis. And there's not a lot of that in anesthesiology. You know, you put your patients to sleep the moment you see them and, <laughs> and you don't really follow them through much after the OR. So, mm -hmm. so I, I don't think I'd have enjoyed anesthesiology much. Um, many other things, I'd have enjoyed pediatrics. I thought very seriously about pediatrics. Yeah. Same reasons, intellectual curiosity. So you're, Practicing in Prince George here, what was it about Prince George or smaller centers generally that made you want to practice here as opposed to, I know you, you were probably trained in somewhere significantly larger. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's an interesting question and I, I really believe that I am 100% suited to practicing in a community like Prince George. Uh, and I think I'm um, maybe relatively unusual in that I really enjoy the academic environment. I, really enjoyed my time as a research fellow and lecturer in Southampton and enjoyed being part of an academic team. And yet at the same time, I wanted to live in the country and work in the more kind of friendly environment of a smaller centre. And um, and I, as I said earlier, I had enjoyed being in a regional hospital in a, in by UK standards, a smaller centre during my residency. And um, and it was interesting. So when I, I spent 12 years as a consultant and attending gastroenterologist and internist in a regional center in the UK. And um, um, although by BC standards or even Canadian standards, it was quite a large community, um, it was not deemed to be a teaching center and or it was a teaching center, but not a teaching hospital. And there wasn't enough academic stimulation there for me. We did have a lot of learners and I was, uh, I had very significant leadership roles and teaching roles with learners, 
but I still didn't get the academic intellectual challenge that I wanted. Um, and so I got to hear about Prince George and the Northern Med Medical Programme, again, quite serendipitously, really. <laughs> and the idea of a medical school in a remote place in, uh, in Northern BC uh, really appealed to me because it would combine uh, the lifestyle that I enjoy. I enjoy uh, outdoor activities. I enjoy rural living with being able to work in an academic environment. I enjoy teaching, I mentioned earlier on, so obviously huge teaching opportunities. Um, and it came at a time when I um, was having to make some decisions in my career. Was I going to um, become a, a manager in the hospital and health authority, a clinical manager? Uh, it, I was being kind of directed that way. Uh, I, I, would I do that and be continue doing clinical work? which is not really what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back into academia. And um, uh, and uh, we, we've always enjoyed traveling and, and uh, we'd spent time in California and San Francisco and enjoyed that as a family. And so uh, and we had come to Canada on vacation and loved, loved Western Canada and the outdoor opportunities. So for us, it seemed a perfect match. And, and it really has been. On that note as well, what would you say are the main differences in internal gastroenterology for someone who's working in a smaller center? Um, I'll take internal medicine and gastroenterology separately. So if you are an internist in a big center, and particularly a teaching center, um, you have almost immediate access to all the subspecialties that, that you want. And um, so someone comes in with chest pain and you think it's cardiac, you call a cardiologist. Uh, if someone's short of breath, no, and you think they might have a respiratory problem, you call a respirologist. Uh, and that's not to say we don't have respirologists and cardiologists in somewhere like Prince George, but they, you know, there are far fewer of them. And the type of practice we have is much more that the internist works up the patient and figures out what's going on. And when he's done that, uh, they can call they can call the subspecialist. So I think um, much more. Um, if you like, independence of practice, uh, the ability to see your patients through and start management across all the subspecialties. Um, usually, when I'm a, if, as, as a gastroenterologist, the interns will have worked the patient up a long way before we get, I get to see them as a gastroenterologist. They've already figured out they've probably got Crohn's disease or something, and they're really now asking me, and they've started management, they're really now asking me to take on the long-term and more complex management of that patient. Um, so I just think that you 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 get to retain um, that oversight of the patient's management for longer and more independently. Now that's good and bad. It might be that some people feel vulnerable and isolated that they don't have the immediate access to all that subspecialty expertise, um, but I enjoy that. <laughs> so as a gastroenterologist, uh, working in a centre the size of Prince George, I have the opportunity to do almost everything that a gastroenterologist would do in a large centre. Uh, the one thing that I don't get involved in is uh, is the immediate peri-operative uh, management of liver transplants. I, I refer patients for liver transplant, I work them up for liver transplant, I follow them up once they've been discharged from hospital back to Prince George, but I don't get involved in that immediate management. and. Um, 
and I, I, I would enjoy that for sure, because I've always also enjoyed acute medicine, and there's a lot of, of acute medicine around liver transplants. They're usually very sick patients when they come up to liver transplant, and their perioperative management can be, um, you know, could, can be very difficult and they can be very unstable. Um, so that's the one thing I don't do. But in terms of just about everything else, I can do that in Prince George. We can do um, almost every advanced endoscopic procedure in Prince George. And if we're not doing it, there's no reason why we can't start doing it. I mean, with the exception of one or two uh, really uh, uncommon procedures where the volume doesn't justify it, uh, there's really there's really no limit to what I can do in my in my scope of practice as a gastroenterologist. I'm more limited myself by time than anything else. So you mentioned earlier that lifestyle is one of the biggest reasons why you enjoy practicing in a smaller center. Could you talk a little bit about work-life balance? <laughs> I wish I could talk about it <laughs> with, uh, with, uh, with wisdom. But so, you know, work-life balance is a challenge for all physicians. Um, and um, I think it's a lifelong challenge and will be for all of us. It is for me. Um, personally, I do enjoy being outdoors and the fact that I can be home from anywhere in Prince George in 20 minutes uh, and I live out of town on the lake, um, to me is huge. And, you know, to give you you know, to give you a comparison, even where I worked in uh, the UK, which was um, an eight mile drive away from where I lived, um, it could take me anything from uh, 30 minutes to an hour, 20 minutes to get to and from work, depending on the time of day. Wow. And so that is draining. <laughs> and and um, you don't feel like doing too much when you get home at night and be sitting in traffic like that. So, so for me, the traffic and the population density is huge. The fact that I can get outside to a rural environment and get home and enjoy that for me is huge. And I, I actually just really enjoy being out in the yard doing yard work, believe it or not. But we have immediate access to a lake for various uh, water sports and activities uh, during the summer. And we're out there cross-country skiing on the lake in winter from our back door, which is just a wonderful thing to be able to do. So I know that you were exposed a little bit to that outdoor lifestyle early on and that kind of helped you make that decision. Do you have any advice for people that maybe grew up in a very big center that don't have, haven't experienced that before? Give it a go. <laughs> Try it <laughs> yeah. and see. And it's, it's really, I think that's really interesting. So, and forgive me if I, if I, uh, if, if I, if I go down the side road here, but one of the things that we're interested in for the Northern Medical Program is finding students who will be suited to uh, working in smaller communities. And that's kind of our mandate. And that's not to say that people from the Northern Medical Program shouldn't be subspecialists in big centres, because it's always good if they have had the experience in a smaller community and understand the challenges for people coming from smaller communities. Um, but there's a lot of evidence that if you were brought up in a rural and a small community, you are more likely to practice and be better suited to working in a smaller community. That's easy. But how do we find people who, like me, I was born and brought up in metropolitan areas. Um, how do you find people like me? And if they've never been exposed to um, 
rural living or small community living? How do you find them? And um, uh, it's, it's an area that I'm really interested in and trying to work out what the attitudes and behaviours of folk are that might enable us to select them. But I would say to those people, and I think UBC is really good at this, in that everyone has to do a rural family practice clerkship uh, rotation, uh, you should get out and try it. And, um, you know, you may or may not know that I, I do some outreach work, and particularly into um, Indigenous and First Nations communities. And I did have the pleasure of uh, going with a resident um, for, who's now in the Indigenous Residency Program, who uh, was brought up in Vancouver and Victoria and had never stepped outside of those communities until she was a medical student and did a rural family practice rotation. And uh, she said that changed her whole life. And now she's in the Indigenous program. She wants to work in small Indigenous communities. So I think you have to experience it. Um, if, you, if you don't already know you have that calling, you have to experience it. And I, I think that's where the UBC program is good. Regarding your specialty gastroenterology, rural medicine generally, we were talking earlier about which direction you think it might be going in. What direction do you think gastroenterology internal is headed especially in centers like this, smaller centers, or just rural medicine generally? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I do think there is a, a kind of conflict between generalism and specialism in medicine nowadays. Uh, and I think it's not just medicine, I think it's the whole world, actually, in every, every field that you might want to look at. And, um, I, I, you know, there, there were, apart from the reasons I've given you for wanting to move away from where I was working in the UK. One of the things that I didn't like about my work in the UK was that whereas I started being a general internist with a, 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 an interest in gastroenterology, I ended up being um, almost purely a hepatologist, seeing patients with hepatitis C and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, and um, and doing a bit of internal medicine on call, and that was, that was kind of it. And to be honest, the intellectual challenge that I talked about started to diminish. Um, on the other hand, it's very easy to be an expert in a narrow field and feel very confident in yourself. And we can't all be experts in everything. And so I do think there is um, a kind of increasing pressure to subspecialize. And yet if you're in a smaller community, we don't want people who can only deal with one or two diseases or do one or two things. We need people who can deal with a significant uh, breadth of of, uh, of disease and, and have and have a uh, and have a wide variety of skills. Um, so I, I don't know where it's going to go. I do think we're going to see increasing subspecialization, but in smaller communities, places in northern BC like Fort St John and Terrace, you're always going to need a general internist and a generalist. Uh, just because the population cannot support all the subspecialties. So there's obviously a tension there between the push to specialize, but also the necessity that there, a physician possess enough generalist ability to practice in a smaller setting. What do you think is driving that, that urge to specialize? Is it the volume of the information? I think it is. I think that's exactly the answer. And I think it's, it's the the uh, explosion of, of information uh, that we have in every field of life. And it's, it's, it's impossible to keep up to date with it all. 
And actually, one of the reasons I love doing CTU is that the, uh, the team helped keep me out today. So, <laughs> you know, in internal medicine, um, you know, um, I, uh, I heard some statistic that if you, if you try to read every paper that was published in a day, you couldn't do so in a lifetime nowadays. So, you know, the, the, the explosion of knowledge is, is huge. And so you can't be an expert in everything. And that's getting, as life goes on, we're going we're gonna to narrow down what we can be an expert in over time. And I think that pressure is very hard to, to resist. Uh, and I see my skills as an intern as now as those of uh, experience and uh, being able to bring some wisdom to the clinical approach. Uh, and knowing where I need to look to try and you know to you know to gain the information, the knowledge and information I need sometimes to know how to manage someone. And it's very different to when I was training when we and not to say we didn't look things up, but we hardly ever looked things up. It was only on you know for a very challenging case we'd go and look stuff up to work out what was going on with them. Whereas now I very readily reach for um, you know bedside. Um, clinical supports like up to date, uh, just to just to make sure that I know the latest way of managing whatever it is I'm, I'm seeing. So I think we're getting close to the end of the interview, um, but I wanted to ask you um, what advice you have for you know undergrad students or even medical students that are thinking about what specialty they might want to go into. Maybe like what kind of questions should they ask themselves? Just what what kind of advice you have? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I guess, and this is where we started, it's all about fit. It's about what you're good at and what you enjoy. And um, apparently someone thought I was going to be quite good at internal medicine when I was a medical student. And I do enjoy the, the, the skills that you need for that. Um, but I would also say to you, keep your mind open. I really do believe that I could have been happy in a variety of specialties. Um, it might be that you are more drawn to um, a surgical specialty or a medical specialty. Uh, it might be that you just like to have the broad scope of practice and the relationships that you build in primary care and therefore family medicine is the right thing for you. Um, but keep your mind open. I, I could have enjoyed lots of things. and um, And also... Truly, and this is a tough pill for anyone to swallow at your stage, truly be aware of the career opportunities in the given specialties. So we all know, we all know that some specialties are harder to find positions in than others. And you know, there was recently a report from the Royal College saying that there are uh, a number of specialties where there are lots of trained specialists who can't find jobs in Canada. And so bear that in mind. If I didn't get into a gastroenterology fellowship, I was certainly willing to look at cardiology and respirology. Um, I even fancied hematology. So, you know, I, you know, there were a variety of things I know I could have done and enjoyed. One more question for you. Yeah, so you brought up a really interesting point about knowing what opportunities are available for all of the different specialties, because I think, you know, lots of people go into medicine for the job security, and that's a huge consideration, yeah. right? So could you elaborate on that a little bit? When you say you mean job opportunities, yeah. For example, do you know of any specialties where there are you know, very few, <laughs> or some that are there are very many? Because I, I think people actually want to know that practical yeah, information. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
the challenge with advising you is that things do change. And um, so, for example, one where there's a shortage of, of jobs at the moment and too many, too many trained physicians is orthopedic surgery. And yet the orthopedic surgeons will quite reasonably point to the fact that there are long wait lists for orthopedic surgeries around the country. And so it's not that we don't need them, it's that currently provincial governments have not invested in the resources needed to employ them. And so uh, there's a number of it's, 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 there's a number of reasons why a specialty, um, you know, why there may not be so many opportunities in the specialty. Um, plastic surgery is another challenge you want to get into. Um, on the other hand, um, general internal medicine is there's going to be lots of opportunities there, particularly as you can subspecialize later on. Family medicine, there's still lots of opportunities. Um, so I think I think you need to look at the data. CARMS have some really good data about um, what you need to do to get into a specialty. The World College have data about numbers of trained specialists and opportunities across the country. And then you need to just think about um, and this is the hard, this is another hard piece. What, what are the opportunities likely to be? So I remember at one point in my career, um, they were saying there were going to be no jobs for cardiac surgeons. And this was when, uh, this was when uh, PCI percutaneous intervention came in and cardiologists were putting stents and doing balloon angioplasties and everyone, and they were saying, well, there won't be any jobs for cardiac surgeons because mm. mostly what they were doing was coronary artery bypass grafting. But that she was been a bit of a shift back and um, we still need cardiac surgeons. So you also kind of need to try and read where the future might be in medicine. Thank you so much, Dr. Winwood. It's a pleasure talking to you today. And it's been a great pleasure talking to you. And I hope that I can inspire uh, future generations of students to do internal medicine and gastrointestinal. <laughs> great. Thank you so much, Dr. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network.